Hey family, thank you for being here today and thank you just for inviting us into your space. Today's going to be great. We're starting a new sermon series. Pastor Alan is going to be kind of diving us into the book of Exodus and make sure to stick around because Pastor Dudley and I are going to be having a conversation after the service. So enjoy. Hey, Christ community, uh, great to be with you. Uh, what an amazing experience we had last weekend. We had a compassion weekend where we invited people in our church to sponsor a child in poverty. Um, the year before, we had 255 children sponsored by people in our church. Well, our goal this past weekend was to add to that 111, all of whom are children in the Colique, Peru area. Well, I am super excited to announce that last weekend, 162 children were sponsored, which means that a total of 417 children in the Colique, Peru area are being rescued from poverty because of you. And that's not just children being impacted. That's 417 families that are being helped. So way to go, church. You guys are amazing. There are still some children wanting sponsors and waiting for sponsors. And so if you're interested and are able and willing to sponsor a child, you can still do that. Just click on the, the link um, or the QR code there and you can get more information on that. So today we're beginning a new teaching series that has been on my heart for a couple years actually, and it has to do with God. Uh, no surprise there. But more specifically, it has to do with this question of what is God like? Do we know what God is really like? We live in a world where people are regularly defining God the way they want him to be. And not surprisingly, their God ends up looking a lot like them, right? He votes the way they do and likes the people they like and hates the people they hate. So we end up creating God in our own image, but we still don't know what he's really like. Even in Christian circles, I wonder sometimes how well we can answer that question. I mean, if you were to ask me about my wife, Raylene, you know, I could say, ah, she's five foot six. She has brown hair. She has green eyes. She was born in Manhattan, Kansas. I mean, now, while all those things are true about her, that answer wouldn't really get at the heart of what you're wanting to know. You, you want to know what, yeah, but what is she like? What is she passionate about? What, what makes her laugh? What makes her cry? You, you want to know who she is as a person. In, in a similar way, sometimes in our relationship with God, we can settle for that first set of answers. You know, we settle for information about God. He's all powerful. He's, he's present everywhere. He knows all things. And all of that is true. But do we know at a personal level what he's really like, what, what he's passionate about, what, what his character is? Knowing those things about God can transform our relationship with him. So the question is, where can we find a very personal accurate description of who God is. Well, there is a very significant passage of scripture in the Old Testament where God personally reveals himself to us. He tells us what he is really like. This, this passage is found in the book of Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven. These two verses are central to the story, the entire story of the Bible. This passage in Exodus 34 is, is one of the most often quoted passages throughout the Bible because of how significant it is. In this passage, God, in his own words, succinctly describes for us his heart, his character. This isn't about someone else telling us what they think God is like. This is about God himself 
revealing to us what he's really like, what makes him him. And what we discover in this description is what one author describes as a breath of fresh air. It turns out that God is better than any of us could imagine. So before we get to these two seminal verses, I want us to understand the context in which they were proclaimed. The book of Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament, and it is a book that describes how God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 3, God introduces himself to a guy named Moses, and he tells Moses that he, Moses is going to lead God's people out of slavery, to which Moses replies, no way, I've been herding sheep for 40 years, I'm not your guy. But God is persistent, and he eventually persuades Moses to go for it. So God miraculously rescues the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, miracle after miracle. <clears throat> now, once they're free from Pharaoh's control, God has, he gets the people out of Egypt and God has Moses go up with him on a mountain and God gives Moses the law, these guidelines for how this relationship with God will work. The problem was Moses and God took quite a bit of time on the mountain, like 40 days. And the people down below got restless and they did the unthinkable. They began worshiping this golden calf instead of God. <clears throat> so Moses <clears throat> comes down the mountain and he can't believe what the people have done, how they have so quickly rejected the God who had just recently rescued them. And so this is where Exodus 33 picks up the story. This is where it begins. It begins with God saying to Moses, look, these people are so difficult and stiff-necked that I have decided I'm not going to lead them into the land of thy promise. I'll send an angel to lead you all into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. Now, when the people hear this, they are distraught, as is Moses. But Moses has this very special relationship with God. We're told in verse 11 that in Exodus 33 that Moses would often go into this tent and meet with God, the tent of meeting. He would go and meet with God. They would speak to each other as friends. So Moses <clears throat> goes into this tent and he speaks very honestly with God about this whole situation. All right, so let's look at what he says, beginning in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses is obviously concerned about who God is going to send with, you know, with Moses to help lead the people. But notice that that is not Moses' primary concern. It's not his primary desire. What, what is his primary longing? To know God. Moses says, verse 13, teach me your ways so that I may know you. This word know is the Hebrew word yada, which speaks here of intimate relational knowledge. Moses is expressing his longing to know God more intimately, more personally. I mean, this is amazing when you think about it. He, he already talks to God as a friend, but Moses wants more. There is this insatiable desire in Moses to know God more intimately. And I, I want to stop there for a moment and just ask, do, do we have that same hunger that same longing to know God. I'm not simply talking about being a Christian. 
praying some prayer, having our sins forgiven, being in a relationship with God. I mean, that's all good, but that's not what we see here in Exodus 33. This isn't simply about Moses being in a relationship with God. This is about Moses wanting to know this God more intimately, desperately wanting to understand his ways and to sense his heart. You know, for how many of us does that reflect our ultimate longing, our lifelong passion, our our greatest desire? What would the people around you say is your greatest longing? What you and I are most passionate about, our sports teams, our golf handicap, our purchases, our vacations, our work? Are those the things that they would say we really get excited about or would they see in our lives a person who is passionately pursuing God, who wants to know God more intimately? That was Moses. That was Moses' heart and passion. Now, before we're tempted to kind of spiritualize this and put Moses in a special category, I want us to remember the context in which Moses expresses this desire to know God. I mean, why is Moses saying this? It's because he's distraught. He's confused. Here is this God who goes to all this effort to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. And he enters into this covenant with his people. and He's prepared this amazing land for them to enjoy. But now he's saying, this God's saying, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses is trying to figure this out. I mean, do, do you ever have times where you're just trying to figure out what God is doing? I do all the time. I have questions about all sorts of things in the Bible. I have questions about hell. I have questions about healing and why God doesn't heal as often as I think he should and why there's so much suffering in the world. I mean, these are not just sterile theological questions to ponder over a cup of coffee. I feel the emotional weight of these questions. And I'm guessing I'm not alone. We all have disappointments, confusion, questions, and doubts about who God is and about what he's doing. If that describes you, you're in good company because Moses was right there as well. He didn't understand what God was doing. He didn't understand why God had seemingly changed his mind and he now wasn't going to go with them. But how did Moses respond to this? This is so important, especially in our culture today, where so many people are abandoning their faith, they're leaving their Christian faith um, because they have doubts and questions about God. I mean, how many times have we heard celebrities or people in our lives or maybe ourselves say something like, well, I, I can't believe in a God who would allow blah, 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 right? And, and so, so they, they, they leave their faith because of these questions and doubts that they have. But what did Moses do with his doubts and his questions and his fears and his confusion? He pursued God even more. He didn't try to fit God into his own understanding. Well, I don't know if I can believe in a God who rescues people, but then later decides he's not going to go with him. No, Moses took his questions and his doubts and he moved toward God. He processed these things with God. It, it breaks my heart that so many people who, who start to have, especially people in the church, in, in any church, just Christians, but so many people who, who start to have questions or doubts about God, they feel like their only option, because they're having doubts and questions, their only option is to stop believing in God. But that's not the only option. We can do exactly what Moses did. We can run to God with our questions 
and our confusion. We can press more deeply into our personal relationship with him and wrestle with these things in his presence. Look, friends, can I just say there is room in our faith to wrestle with God. There is room to ask questions and to have doubts. Unfortunately, often we as Christians are taught to embrace and expect certainty in our faith, that we need to be certain about everything. We need to have all the answers to every question. What Moses shows us in this passage is that our faith is not intended to be built on certainty, on us knowing exactly what God is doing and why. Our faith is built on a personal relationship with God a relationship in which we may have lots of doubts and questions, but in those questions, we can chase harder after God. We can press into our friendship with him and ask him our questions and wrestle with these things. And at the end of the day, be okay with uncertainty about God because we know him personally. So in his uncertainty, Moses presses in to God and God responds to Moses by letting him know that God will now be going with Moses and the people. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at verse 14. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, it seems like the problem solved here, but, but what's interesting is that in the Hebrew, the you here is singular. So what God seems to be saying here is he's only talking about Moses. I'll go with you, singular, but not everyone else, which is why I think Moses follows up with this clarifying question. Verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people Unless you go with us, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So God, Moses hears God say, I'm going to go with you individually. And, and Moses says, but what about us? Okay. So in response to this question, the Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And this is a fascinating passage because it seems that Moses actually gets God to change his mind to do something different than he initially said he was going to do. I mean, I think sometimes we just, you know, brush this off or whatever, but we got to admit something's going on here that's in an, it's kind of in the area of mystery because yeah, God is sovereign. Absolutely. But what we see here is that Moses' prayers, his conversation with God, his prayers actually impact what God decides to do. And man, this has been so challenging and inspiring for me in my own prayer life. I mean, do I see my prayers through this lens? Do we see our prayers through this lens that we're talking with God, right? And that our prayers can influence God and and that we're partnering with God in our prayers. Again, there's a huge mystery here, but let's let's never fall into the trap of thinking that our prayers don't really matter. Why pray? God's gonna do what he's gonna do anyway. No, no, no. Let's not fall into the trap of thinking our prayers don't really matter. They do matter. They do matter. Okay, so God assures Moses that he, God, will indeed go with his people, with all of them. And this is really good news. So how does Moses respond to this? I love this. Look at verse 18. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. 
Again, friends, this is about so much more than Moses getting his request answered and some of his confusion cleared up. This is about relationship. Moses wants to know this God more deeply, which is why he ramps up his request. Earlier he said, teach me your way so that I may know you. Now Moses is getting rid of all pretense and he's just expressing the desire, the longing, the passion of his heart. Show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. Now this word glory literally means weight. It is describing the substance of who God is. In this context, glory refers to the presence and beauty of the Lord. Moses longs to see the fullness of who God is. And this is such a powerful moment as we see Moses' heart on display. He doesn't want answers. He doesn't want wealth. He doesn't want comfort. What he wants is God. He wants to see the fullness of who God is, but not as a spectator. No, no. Moses is wanting to encounter the presence of God in a deeper way than ever before. So how does God answer Moses' request? This is so cool. And yes, we're getting close to the two verses I mentioned earlier. In response to Moses' request, God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I can't do that because you wouldn't be able to process it or handle it. The fullness of my glory is beyond what any human can experience. But I will do something much more palatable and yet just as impactful. God says, I'm going to proclaim my name. Now, did you realize, did you realize that God has a name? Not just a title, Lord, King, Messiah, all that. No, God, all that. No, no, those are titles. Those are descriptors. But what God is saying to Moses here is that he, God, actually has a name. He has a personal name. Now, this is significant because in the, in the Israelite culture, names were a big deal. They, they, they were more than just what you called someone. They spoke of someone's character, who they really were. Your, your name is what defined you, which is why in Genesis 17, God calls Abram, and he changes his name. He, he changes his name to Abraham, the father of many nations. This, that's who Abraham became. His name spoke of his character, his destiny. Okay, so with that in mind, when God says to Moses, I'm going to pro- proclaim my name, this is a big deal. God is saying, I'm going to answer your request, your longing, to see my glory. I'm going to answer your request, your longing by revealing who I really am, the name by which you can call me. And that's what God does in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. He proclaims his name. He reveals who he is. So do you see why this passage is so important? Why it was so important to the Jews and why it is so important to us? It's a passage in which God specifically says, look, this is who I am. This is my name. This is what I'm like. So when you're confused, when you're distraught, when things are happening that cause you to wonder what I'm like, come back to this place. Come back to this passage where I reveal and proclaim my name. 
Okay, so God tells Moses that when his goodness passes by, he will put Moses in the cleft of a rock and he will cover him with his hand so that Moses won't see God's face and be destroyed. And so this is what happened. And now we finally, we finally get to the two verses. That was quite an intro, huh? Exodus 34, let's begin. Actually, let's begin in verse five. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. Now I want to stop there for a moment because something huge just happened. God told us his name. God told us his name. He gave us his personal name. Now, unfortunately, most English translations translate this word as Lord, but that's not what the text actually says. Lord is a title. What God actually gives us here is his name. Four consonants that we pronounce as Yahweh, which means I am. Now, next week, KJ is going to unpack in way more detail the meaning of this name, but I don't want us to miss this point. God has a personal name and he revealed it to us. He has revealed it to us. He is not just God, Lord, King. Those are all titles like me, you know, by calling me pastor or father or husband, right? Those are titles, but my name is Alan Craft. That's my name. God's name is Yahweh, the I am. Okay, so let's keep going because God continues to reveal what he's like. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, don't let that last phrase freak you out. It is not talking about some divine form of child abuse where children are guilty for what their parents did. We're going to unpack this verse in detail later in this series, and we're going to discover the mercy that is found even in that verse. Okay, so in these two verses here in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God reveals to us not only his name, he reveals to us what he's like. In this passage, he's giving us a bedrock, clear picture of the kind of God he is. So we're going to spend the next seven weeks leading up to Easter unpacking this passage phrase by phrase. What does it mean that God is compassionate? What does it mean that he is slow to anger? What does it mean that he is abounding in love and faithfulness? Now, the heart of this teaching series is what was the cry of Moses' heart. Lord, show me your glory. Show me who you really are. That's a prayer that can radically impact all of our lives. Can you imagine the impact on our lives if we truly understood who God really is? Not what other people think he's like, but who he really is, what makes him him. We want this to be the cry of our heart. God, show us your glory. Show me your glory. In the midst of our questions, our doubts, our confusion, God, show us what you're really like. Now, in light of this heart cry, there's, there's something amazing that I want to point out here and how we're going to approach this passage. There's something amazing that we have access to that Moses didn't at that time. 
So I want you to keep 30, Exodus 33 and 34 in mind as I read to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 1 in the New Testament, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this statement from John 1 is talking about Jesus, right? And I want you to notice how it is saturated with Exodus 33 and 34. This phrase, first of all, this phrase, God made his dwelling among us, literally means God pitched his tent among us. We saw earlier how in Exodus 33, Moses would regularly go into a tent and speak face-to-face with God. So John is saying, now we can experience God in that way. But that's not all. In Exodus 33, Moses says, show me your glory. And here in John 1, John says, we have seen his glory. Moses' prayer is answered in Jesus, who is the full representation of what God is like. Jesus reveals to us the fullness of the glory, the beauty, the presence of God. And then we're also told here that this Jesus is full of grace and truth. You know where that phrase comes from? Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. This is the Greek way of saying what God revealed about the God revealed in Hebrew about himself in Exodus 34, that he is abounding in love and faithfulness, grace and truth. There is no doubt that as John is writing these words in John 1. He has Exodus 33 and 34 at the forefront of his mind and heart. John wants us to know that Moses' prayer, show me your glory, is actually answered in Jesus. Jesus is the full reflection of the God who is revealed in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. So as we explore this passage in these weeks leading up to Easter, let's make this our prayer, our longing. Jesus, show us your glory. Show us who you really are. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage. This amazing passage in Exodus 34 where you reveal to us your name and you describe for us your character, what you're really like. And Lord, we admit we live in a world where there is a ton of confusion about what you're like and, and people make God into their own image and who they want him to be. And God, we, we just want to see your glory, God. We want to know you. Would you stir in us that passion, that longing that is greater than any other longing in our life? To not be content with just having a relationship with you. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian or whatever. We don't want to be content with that. (laughs) My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. No, we, we want to know you. Like Moses, we want to know who you are more and more. We want to know your heart. We want to know your passions. We want to know who you are in a greater way and experience you in a greater way and in a more intimate, personal way as Yahweh, as Jesus. And so we pray that you would be stirring that heart in us and that you would be using this series as we're 
kind of leading now, leading up to Easter, you would be using this series in a profound way in all of our hearts to stir in us a greater longing to know you and then to actually experience that knowledge, to know more clearly the amazing God you are. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth to reveal what God is like. Thank you. So, Jesus, we want to know you. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, welcome. We are here with Pastor Dudley Brown. Thank you for joining oh, us today. Pleasure to be here. I'm excited to kind of hear your perspective on all of this. So oh, thank you. Yeah. So one thing I will ask, Alan, I'll start with you. I want to know where <coughs> your heart came into this whole place. Um, yeah. Like what brought what brought you to this series? What? Yeah, I think I actually a few years ago read this book book called God Has a Name uh, by John Mark Comer. And it, uh, I don't know, just in reading it, I realized the significance of Exodus 34, this particular passage. And I don't think I'd ever really studied it. Mm -hmm. I looked at it and then just realized how it is throughout scripture, all sorts of places. It becomes kind of this theme throughout scripture. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I, I yeah, just in, in the midst of that, I thought this could be such a cool teaching series for our church and for us to just to explore how God describes himself rather right. than other people talking about what God is or like. Or how we describe him in right. our own minds. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what, that's kind of what started it. And um, I'd been looking for a place to kind of fit it in. And we had talked about it maybe a year ago and it just didn't work out then. But um, yeah, I thought this would be such a great way to lead up to Easter. I love so. it. What are your thoughts on this whole well, path? I'm sure I, you have some. Well, absolutely. <laughs> it, um, I mean, I was I was struck by this passionate pursuit of God yep. that uh, came out in the message, and it. I mean, it, it reminded me of Habakkuk. It reminded me of Paul, and then I thought, oh, does it remind me of myself? Mm. <laughs> and you know, sadly, uh, you laid out a number of things that we're more known for, and uh, I would like to get to that point where, it, yeah, I want to pursue God. Uh, and I think we have these ups and downs in our lives yep. where sometimes we're really pursuing God and then we get caught up in the cares of the world or the struggles or challenges. So that was something that inspired me in the message is that, that passionate pursuit of God. And as you bring up the, the name of God and looking at, how he describes himself. Yeah. I think that'll be really helpful going forward in this series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just listing all these things that I, in my own life, thought of. I'm passionate about my sports teams. I really want my golf handicap to be lower. Right? You know, all these things that <laughs> this I... This is how you would describe right, Exactly. <laughs> all these things that, yeah, I get passionate about. And then I just wonder, wow, for Moses, that seemed to be... Man, he... he even in the midst of all the other things going on, mm -hmm. he was like, "I want show me your. I want to know. I want to know you. Let's figure out who you're going to send with me. But I really want to know you. Mm -hmm. Teach me your ways." You know, he was always pressing into that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, just that that journey of knowing God. And I think we've what is that pursuit of God book that you know oh, Tozier a, a always w talks about, right. right? This idea that we've settled into this Christianity where people once they 
have received Christ, they need no longer seek him. Mm. Like <clears throat> he's right. Where did we get into that 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 we just settle into this this kind of um, maybe complacency, but we settle into the a, a place where we're not really longing. It's like we already know God, what he's like. Not and longing rather than, to learn. Right. Yeah. And to personally learn more mm-hmm. about him and who he is. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. I was thinking of Jesus on the road to Emmaus um, uh, after the resurrection, and he's talking with those two people, and they just, they don't get it. They don't know that, who he is right in yeah. front of them mm-hmm. until it's like he breaks the bread to serve them and they must have seen the hands and that's when their eyes were opened and then there was this connection of knowing Jesus and at the end you bring up Jesus you know full of grace and truth mm-hmm. in John 1 and uh, I think that is such a great bridge uh, and connection for us I mean we know God we pursue God we pursue um, the Son of God, we, Christ Himself, yep. and I think that'll be. That's that's where my mind was going during the message was back and forth between mm. these, between God, between the Son, and I think it's really a pursuit. Helpful yeah, I pursuit. think that's how we're gonna unpack the, this passage, these mm-hmm. verses, is really through the New Testament lens, through Jesus, mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting in in the road to Emmaus, he. Um, before he revealed, you know, before they saw who he really was, right. he used Moses and the prophets right. to reveal who he was, right? Yeah. He was explaining exactly. to them from the Old Testament who he was. And who knows? Maybe he was using <laughs> Exodus 34 when he was describing, yeah. oh my putting all these pieces together, what God is like, you know? So that's kind of cool. One of the things I thought about as you were um, speaking well, you talked about the, the questions that we have yeah. in life, and I think that's so true for us. And sometimes the questions then become an impediment to knowing God or to pursuing God, but somehow they, they need to be like held together. Um, we don't know everything. We hardly understand very much about God himself. And so there are constantly uh, constant questions for us. So I... That shouldn't be something that detracts us. But how did we get there, Dudley? How do you think we got there? Because I do think yeah. we worship certainty and yes. our Christian that's culture. That's exactly right. And I think that's why we have so many young people falling away, you know, just kind of chucking their faith. It's because we've lifted up, we are certain about what creation looked like and it, it took this length of time and we're certain about, you know, we, yeah. we elevate this need for certainty. And then when there's one question that a professor, college right. professor asks, it's like a house of cards, you know, our faith is a house of cards and one question about whatever and the whole mm-hmm. thing collapses and people think, I can't, I can't be a Christian because I'm not certain about right. how creation happened or what about evolution or whatever, whatever it happens to be. It's like their whole faith is like all wrapped up in this certainty about everything. I think that was like, you know, I'll, I'll speak just from personal experience that that was so embedded in your Christian upbringing, yeah. you know, that, mm, you know, this is truth, this is not truth. Yep. That's it. You know, and yep. so it's like, but if I question this, you know, you you didn't question things, you know, this was this was it, this was it, and so I think when that that enmeshment happens and you and you start you start 
having your own ideas or your own questions or like, I kind of want to deconstruct this just a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, you don't feel you have the permission to exactly. do that. Exactly. Right. That's so sad. People mm -hmm. don't feel safe. That's what I was trying to get at. People mm -hmm. don't feel safe to, and that's why I want to say, this is a safe place safe. to wrestle. This is a safe place to have doubts. This is a safe place to have questions. Mm -hmm. um, and let's discover these things. Yeah. And rather than, ooh, I'm questioning, you know, so, you know, the certainty mm -hmm. thing. Uh, man, I think that's done a ton of damage. It honestly. is, and I, I think agree. you find yeah. you find the truth in your questioning and in your right. searching. And I love looking back at the things that, in my 20s, I'm like, I was so certain. I was so, you know. And now I look at like where just you know, brain development has brought me and mm -hmm. heart development has brought me. And you're like, I can't believe I thought that that was so true, you know? I know. <laughs> I feel the same way as a pastor. There it's are like, things oh. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. If we go back to the road to Emmaus, they were looking for some kind of certainty. Physical certainty. Yeah. And that's what they got. Certainty. Yeah. But what they got was Jesus. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's part of where we need to be and I think you know the series going in that direction and allowing people to ask questions and you know I have questions we all have questions I mean let's get it out in the middle of the room yeah we all have questions about our faith it's it's not as black and white as maybe I grew up thinking it was and so I'm that's really important. I think it is and we push people to accept this one little side corner yeah. Um, of truth and not realizing that there may be a wider spectrum, but we only think of this one black and white spot. And I think that we do a disservice to our young people in that respect. Huge. And I, I, I think even as a pastor, I feel it. There, there are yeah. certain things I may be wrestling with that I cannot bring up to other pastors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree. Because they're going to, it's not safe, honestly. Uh -huh. And so I feel that. And I, I just think, how did we get here where um, we can't, question. I love this. There's a guy going to our church. He has kind of some Jewish, he's not Jewish, but he was mm -hmm. raised in sort of a, a Jewish yeah. kind of home. And the other night we were talking and he said something like, <clears throat> he said, one thing I love about the Jewish approach to these things is if someone says they have a question or a doubt, the rabbi wouldn't freak out about it. Right. He would just say, that's totally fine. As long as you keep reading the word, as long as you keep studying Torah, you're gonna you're gonna be fine. I thought that's such a great perspective, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. But we freak out when the, someone brings up a question and we don't know the answer. But mm -hmm. oh, you can't have it. You know, can't doubt that. But it's like, hey, as long as you're just following Jesus mm -hmm. and you're pressing into Him and reading His Word, He's gonna show you mm -hmm. the and truth. And where in life, there. in any other aspect of life, are questions not allowed? Right. You know, exactly. like true. seriously, right. you, when children are asked, you want them to be curious and you want them to, you know, find different answers and have different perspectives and everything. And yeah, where did we lose that? Yeah. You know, I think that is, yeah. I, I, I go back to, to Habakkuk. And the whole I book, love Habakkuk. Well, you know, it's, it's built on questions. Yes. He's yeah. asking God, why? How long, yeah. O Lord? And God responded to him. Mm -hmm. And then he asks more questions because he's mystified by the response God gives to him. And then he leads into this prayer. And in this prayer, he begins with Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And he walks through um, the, 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 the greatness of God and mm -hmm. 
He and comes around. He, comes around. <laughs> he does yeah, come he around. Does, but has, I love his he, yeah. his like anger passion in, at the beginning. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's that authentic. famous passage, the righteous will live by faith. You know, there's a sense of, mm. I can't figure it all out, but God, I believe mm -hmm. you and I'm going to continue to walk with you right. and pursue you. He keeps running to him rather than right. running away. Running you know, away. I think that's, that's the mis not the mistake, but I think that's where so many people in grief or whatever, the, the loss mm -hmm. or questions and doubts, the tendency is, well, I guess my only option is to run away from, right. I have to turn away from God. Uh -huh. But no, what if we actually turn towards him right. with our questions? Right. right. And, and don't you and, see him saying, ask me, right. ask me, you know, mm -hmm. like yeah. that's the heart of a father. You're right. Yeah. Is, yeah. Just breaks my I, heart I want my kids to ask absolutely. questions too, so yeah. that we can all learn and go forward. And never, the heart of a he would never, we would never shame our children for asking a question. You know, mm -hmm. all questions are good questions, right? Right, right. exactly. And yeah, you would never want to shame. But I think, I think when you talk about there, there's this um, idolizing the certainty. It's like, well, if I, if you ask that and I don't know rather than the conversation piece of let's navigate this together. Yep. Let's keep yeah, asking, but keep reading the word. And right. Keep and focusing. Keep pressing into yeah. the word. Yep. Definitely. I love the fact that there are, scripture is filled with so many questions. Mm -hmm. The psalmist, Habakkuk, oh, it's just, Moses, <laughs> what are right. you doing? I love that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think... Even if we've, the if questions we've that, that, that Thomas asks right. after the resurrection. Yep. You know, he had profound questions that he wanted answered and God showed, Jesus showed up. Yeah. And that was transforming for the life of Thomas. Yeah. I just think the more we can, I think I love that about Alpha, you know, some of the right. context we're trying mm -hmm. to create here of places where people, they can ask mm -hmm. questions, you know, in a safe place mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and wrestle and process. And that's a, a really important thing. Mm -hmm. And I think the best response is, I don't have the answer. Right. Sure. You know, that's the yep. safest response. Yeah. yeah. But here's what I do know. Mm -hmm. You know, here's something I feel I know. But yeah, sometimes, I think sometimes too, you, people don't present a safe environment for those questions to be asked. And therefore, the permission's not granted, you know. And so people will hold back and, well, I'm not going to. Yep. I'm not going I just to. thought of yeah. Moses and his questions. When God showed up the very first time at the burning bush and told him he was going to lead the people of Israel <laughs> out, he had half a dozen questions he was asking. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> you know, and, and God responded, and maybe he w you know, went from immaturity to more maturity, and that's a process in, mm -hmm. our, in our Christian faith, going from immaturity to maturity. We ask the questions, and... and Maybe we don't get all the answers we want, and most of the time, in my experience, I haven't gotten the answers, <laughs> but there's a sense of Jesus makes himself more real to me. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. um, can I share a quick poem about yeah. Jesus? Make <laughs> so Hudson Taylor had this deep and abiding passion for Christ. You, you, you know, he was a missionary mm -hmm. to China. He died in 1905, but he prayed, Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living bright reality, more nearer to faith's vision keen than any outward object seen, more dear, more intimately nigh, 
than even the sweetest earthly tie. Mm. That to me is just a passionate heart for Christ. Yeah. And I, that's maybe where we want to be. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Dudley. Mm -hmm. sure. Thank you, guys. This was great. Yeah. I want to know your questions that I know you can comment below. So we would love to know what are the questions that are going on in your mind right now? And yeah, join in on this conversation with us. So thanks, guys. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Thanks. Have thanks. a good day.